Our sermon text for this morning comes from Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is the field of Mach- at Machpelah, to the east, uh, excuse me, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought, bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how much or how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I... um, In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of at Adta, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? 
As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. Then they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray together. Our God, we, we come before you humbly asking that you would teach us by your word and in accordance with the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Father, that you would cause your word to go forth and accomplish all that you have set out for it to do. May it not return empty and void. Father, we pray that you would give your speaker clarity of speech and thought and your hearities the ability to hear. And we pray all of these things, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, this morning, as we uh, gather together, we surely gather together on a, a joyful day in the life of the church. I mean, this is what one of the brothers said to me last week, that this particular Lord's Day, the day where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ Jesus, this really is the high point of the Christian's year. It is the high point of a Christian's life. Everything thing about who we are as God's people centers on this day when our Lord and Savior stepped forth from a tomb in Jerusalem. And we gather together to celebrate new life, even pictured by many of you as you dressed up special for this particular day. Something new has come and has come on this day in history. And yet as we gather, we got and gather in a new and living hope, we come to a text that may uh, seem to you to be uh, an odd choice for celebrating the resurrection of Christ. I know I question myself for continuing this. And yet we come to one that does celebrate the high point in the Christian life. I'm fairly confident, in fact, that this particular text is not only uh, uh, um, one that communicates well, the resurrection, but one that communicates the high point of the Christian life for this Easter Sunday, even if it is not a text that preachers often will go to and reach for, for Easter Sunday. And yet as we come to this text that concludes our study through the book of Genesis that we've been moving through for a good time now, Genesis ends here in these chapters on the highest notes possible in the lives of the people of God. And that is especially true for Joseph. Now, that may seem quite odd to you. I mean, you know, Joseph had very many great moments in his life. And yet, Scripture seems to point to these final moments of Joseph as the high point of his faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that the chapter, you know, uh, um, it could pick any point in a man's life. This chapter that is dedicated to the great faith of God's people and his 
and it talks about these promises that God has given and Joseph's faith in these great and precious promises. And what it points to particularly is Joseph's instructions concerning his bones, what he says concerning what ought to be done with them. And so the question that we come to the text this morning is, what do these dead bones have to do with a new and living hope? You know, the first thing we want to see this morning as we come to this text are the careful instructions about dead bones. Instructions about dead bones. As you come to the end of chapter 49, Jacob finishes his blessing upon the children of Israel, God's people. He blesses them, and he comes to his final task in life. And now that that has done, now that he has blessed his children, he has passed on the blessing of God to his children, the promise of a seed to come. As Jacob finishes this text, he repeats something he said once before to Joseph alone, now commanding all of his children Basically saying, I'm about to die. My days are done here, but do this one final thing for me. Bury me in the resting place of my fathers. Bury me in the tomb of Abraham and Isaac and my wife Leah. Bury me back in the land that God promised to us in the cave of our fathers. And the text tells us when Jacob finished commanding his sons the concerning his bones, he gathered his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And all God's people mourn over him and all of Egypt mourns over the loss of this great king who is blessed by God. And verses 1 through 14 of chapter 50 basically describe how Jacob is embalmed, how they cover his body with spices. And then Joseph asked permission to leave Egypt in order to return Jacob's body to his final resting place in Canaan. Pharaoh grants him permission, and Joseph and all of God's people, except for the children and animals, and many Egyptians all travel together to Canaan. In fact, following the same route, the nation of Israel will follow when they exodus from the land of Egypt. And they travel this final exodus for one. Now, all the children of Abraham and Egyptians will return to Egypt. Only Jacob will move out from the land of Egypt and now dwell in the land of promise. But he does so in permanent death. And as you watch this unfold, you have to ask the question, why? I mean, why make such a big deal out of this? Why travel all this way just to bury your bones in a place that hasn't even been your home? Jacob has spent the last 17 years of his life down in Egypt. He spent 20 years living in the land of Canaan, and now Jacob wishes to have his dead bones returned to Canaan. But he's dead. I mean, he's not going to remember being there. It's one thing to desire to want to go home again when you are living, but Jacob can't enjoy the land now. He'll never watch the sunset over the land. He'll never enjoy the cool breeze on his face under the trees in that land. He will not enjoy the sounds of rushing water again. So what is the point of returning to this particular piece of land as a dead man? Now, it's a question that you have to deal with as you come to this text. I mean, here is a lot of pomp and celebration and time is spent delivering this one to his final resting place. But what makes all of this, why make all of this fuss? Why spend so much time showing how Jacob's desire of his heart was to rest in this place and that is finally going to happen, that he will finally rest here? What's the point? 
Well, interestingly, the question goes unanswered, but you come to, uh, or the problem is only compounded as you come to the end of chapter 50. Where notice as you come to the final five verses, Joseph commands basically the same exact thing as his father before him. I mean, the text begins and ends with death. It begins and ends with two different men commending their descendants, not just asking them, but commanding that their bones be taken to a particular place and laid to rest there. Joseph tells us that, or the text tells us that he lived to be 110 years old. That is the perfectly blessed Life according to Egyptian cultures. He's lived for 93 years of his life in the land of Egypt. Now just wrap your mind around that. 93 years he has been in the land of Egypt. Joseph's home has been Egypt. He has only ever lived in Canaan for 17 years years of his life and yet as his days draw to an end as he sets his accounts in order he says I am about to die but God will visit you and bring me up from this land to the land he swore to our fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob you will not remain here and when God visits you a word used four times in verses 24 and 25 Very significant that God visits his people in this day. On that day, when God visits you, carry my bones up from this place. Don't you dare leave me behind. And again, on one level, we can understand this request Joseph is making. You know, don't leave me behind. Who who wants to be left behind? Who likes to be left behind anywhere? But on another, this request is utterly incomprehensible to us. Joseph will be dead. He won't even know that he is being removed from this place. Why does he care where his bones are, whether they are left behind in Egypt or not? It's not like someone will come to him and say, hey, wake up, Grandpa. It's time for us to hit the road and move on again. Joseph's life, his life will have been extinguished by this point. What is so important that he will not allow his bones to remain in this foreign land of Egypt. I mean, Joseph is basically making the same request as Jacob, his father, did before him. He's saying, don't leave me here. Take me with you. But why does this matter when you are already dead? That is the question. More than that, how is it that Scripture argues that this is the particular pinnacle of his faith, that his faith, that his bones not remain here? We see two things about Joseph's faith upon this request. The first is that all, uh, uh, the first of all, what we see is that Joseph, by faith, rests and believes in the knowledge that Exodus will happen. Now, notice what he says when you leave this place, take me with you. It's not if you leave, but when. Joseph is making the assertion, you will indeed leave this land and return to the land that God promised to our fathers. The land that he has promised to you, God will visit you. He will surely visit you. In the Hebrew, uh, if you want to emphasize something, you say the same thing twice. You know, parents do this with their kids all the time. You know, don't touch that. No, don't touch that. Uh, You know, it's the same thing. There is an emphasis being placed on here. And it's the same, uh, or what we see it uh, translated into the English is surely God will visit you. It's the way of saying the same thing twice or emphasizing him. Surely God will visit you. And he says that in verse 24. And again, verse 25, surely God will visit you, doubling 
and emphasis. Joseph believes and acknowledges that this will happen. It's not if, it's rather when. When God does this thing, when he visits you and you exodus from this place, take me with you. Joseph has a hope that God will indeed deliver his people, but it's not just a vain hope. It's one that rests in the covenant promises of God. You'll notice the text says about Joseph, as he has died, he is embalmed, and he is put in a coffin, but not buried. Very strange. Again, you know, it's the only body in Genesis that we see not buried in the ground. And these words that are spoken about everyone else who goes in, the, uh, in, uh, uh, in Genesis is buried in the ground who dies, but not Joseph. Instead, he is laid in a box. And in the Hebrew, there's no word for coffin. Rather, the word here used is ark. Just like the Ark of the Covenant that carried the very words of God's covenant promises to Israel, they are carried about in a ark. And in the same exact way, Joseph's bones were put in an ark and carried about in the wilderness for 40 years. Joseph's bones will be carried about in this ark. Exodus 13 tells us that Moses brought his bones up when they left Egypt and Joseph's dead body is transported around for 40 years minimum until they come to rest in Joshua 24, and they are buried in the land of Shechem, his inheritance. And Calvin says his bones here, they attest to the people of God, just as the Ark of the Covenant did, that the eternal covenant of God still stands and demonstrates this one's final hope. But again, we come back to that question, what does it all matter if he's dead? Why? In the world, would you haul a dead body around for 40 years? As even if it's as some sort of sign, if he's dead. You know, surely you get tired and want to get rid of some luggage along the way. Why not get rid of grandpa's old bones and leave him where he is? He'll never know the difference. I guess the real question is, why do this unless these bones can in fact live again? And that is the question, can these bones live again? Because that is the only way Joseph will ever enjoy this land that he has been transported to. I mean, the, that is the question. It's true, Joseph has expressed a hope in the reality of an exodus to come for God's people, but he would not go through all of this hassle if he did not plan to enter into the land of the living again. Joseph is saying, I will rise again from this death. My body will rise from its tomb, and on that day I will dwell in that particular land that God promised to my forefathers. It's the same thing that Jacob is trusting in as his bones are carried out of Egypt across Jordan's riverbank into the land of Canaan. They would not go through all of this trouble if they did not plan to set their live flesh and blood feet again in the land to live and to dwell in the promised land of blessing. As one preacher said, Joseph and Jacob are saying, I will stand in my flesh on this earth in that place. For many of us, it's hard to believe that the patriarchs believed in a resurrection of the dead, that their hope was our hope. It seems like a little bit of a stretch, but again, Hebrews 11 explains this to us when it is talking about Abraham and how he was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he knew that God could raise him from the dead. 
And if he was sacrificed upon this altar by his father, he believed and trusted that, that real, in that reality that Isaac could be raised and would be raised from the dead in order that God would be faithful to his promises. What is it that Ezekiel 37 says about the valley of dry bones? God takes Ezekiel out into the wilderness, into a valley that is filled with bones, and Ezekiel sees it, and he says, Behold, they were very dry. They've been dead there and laying there for a very long time. And God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And you have to love Ezekiel's response. It's very judicious. Oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> uh, he's not about to answer poorly. God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, hear the word of the Lord and I will cause what? Breath will enter into them and sinews will reappear upon them and flesh will cover their bones and skin upon the flesh and you shall live again and know that I am the Lord. And God explains what this means in the same chapter, what this is intended to tell God's people. He says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. These are the whole people of God who are gathered together and I will open your graves and I will bring you into the land that you will know I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O oh my people. God's plan has always been to raise his people from the gen in a bodily resurrection. Jacob and Joseph rest and believe in that reality that a resurrection from the dead is imminent and it must take place. But the question is how? How will all this take place? Is this just a fool's errand to believe? What must happen in order for a resurrection of the dead to be realized? Well, we see what must take place when we see God working good out of evil. God working good out of evil. As you look at this text we've been studying, I hope you've seen how it begins and how it ends with death. Chapter 49 ends with the death of Jacob and his burial, takes up the first 14 chapter, or verses of chapter 50, and then the very last verses deal with the death of Joseph. And he, uh, the Hebrews love to do this. Uh, in biblical narrative, it's called a chiastic structure where either end of the story has something that matches itself again. You can think of a horseshoe, you know, that curve. It's kind of this matching parallel, how it curves down one side and matches the other. But the reason that's important and the reason that you're seeing that here is that what comes in the middle of that particular structure is what is the, of the utmost importance. In the midst of our text here is verses 15 through 21 about how Joseph's brothers after Jacob dies grows fearful again. Maybe all the evil that they committed to Joseph is going to come back to haunt them. Maybe Joseph was just really being kind for the sake of his father and now they've had it. No one could possibly be this merciful and good. And so they prostrate themselves before him confessing their sins saying, we are your servants. And Joseph acknowledges their sins. He says as much by admitting God must judge sin. But he says, am I in the place of God? You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about for the people of God that they might be preserved today. And dear Christian, that is the gospel. 
Notice what it is that Jacob or Joseph is saying. Everything that has happened in his life, every crime, every evil that he has suffered, he says, all of that stuff that was meant as evil against me, God worked that particular evil for good that was his plan all along that evil would befall me in order that you might live. And you cannot help but hear those words of Joseph and know that is exactly what happens at the cross of Christ Jesus. As Christ underwent evil of every kind as he suffered for the sins, for our sins that we laid upon him as our evil only brought harm, yet God meant it all for good. Isn't that what Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2? Men of Israel, hear these words. Notice he's talking to God's people. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to or attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst that you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified by the hands of lawless men. You underwent the worst evil imaginable you gave the worst evil imaginable upon the christ it was the a crime that was given against the only completely truly innocent man to ever walk upon this earth and an innocent man suffered the punishment of the ungodly and yet peter goes on and he says about this crime against humanity he says god raised him up Loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see, God worked the greatest evil ever committed upon the face of the earth for good. And not just working it for a general prosperous good. But through his death, he brings resurrection. And he brings new life of whom Christ is the first fruits. Of whom his rising again from the tomb testifies to. As God visited his people in the person of Christ, as God came down and delivered his people up from the house of bondage, he does so so that they might have new life. And that is the same hope of Joseph, that one day God would visit his people and through his visitation he would work and that even through death, He would bring deliverance and return God's people to God's land. And that is our hope this day, dear Christian. Notice the book of Genesis, how it ends. It began with a man who dwelt in a perfect land, enjoying life in the presence of God. But now that death through sin has entered into the world, something must happen in order to return us to God's land. Genesis ends with a man who dies, a man who dies under the curse, and yet a man who dies with the hope that he will return to the land that he has been exiled from, a man who is going to be carried about in a coffin for 40 years, whose hope is that restoration will indeed come, that these bones will again rise again, even as Christ Jesus' bones have risen again. But as we live under the effects of curse, the only way to return to the land of God, to the presence of God, is through death. Only then can deliverance and a return to God's presence come. People of God, can these bones live again? Can Joseph's bones live again? Can our bones live again? 
Surely, as we die, there are few guarantees in life, and death is certainly one of them. But as surely as we die, people of God, if you are hidden in Christ, these bones will indeed live. How do you know? How can you be sure? Because Christ was raised from this dead, from the dead this day. Scripture tells us that he is the first form, first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. That resurrection where all those who are hidden in Christ, whose life is tied to his life through death, will be raised again bodily. Our bodies will be rejoined to our soul on that day, and we will surely live in a land in the presence of God as complete and total human beings, body and soul, in the presence of God of our God and our Savior, our Redeemer who lives. Surely, if this is true, death has lost its sting because victory is secured and sure in the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we come before you and we confess that often These truths seem too good to be true. And yet we know, Father, we know and we can look back to what you have done by entering into human history, by taking on human flesh in order that man might be reconciled to God and live and dwell and play in the presence of God. We pray, Father, that you would continue to turn our eyes in faith to these things, that you would continue to strengthen us by the resurrection of Christ Jesus. May we know a hope and assurance that goes beyond all understanding. Father, we ask that even this day that you would continue to build up your people and strengthen them by the very death and resurrection that bring new life. May it renew us as we turn and see our Savior who has been high and lifted up and now is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.